Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, everyone. How are you all doing, Hufflings? I am Jasper William Cartwright, and as always, we have... Ah, uh, Leander Nutty Lewis, yeah, but everybody calls me Nutty. Sorry, a girl's got a girl has got a hydrate. I was you hydrating mid drink, were... and I knew she was mid drink. And I was like, she's not going to stop. She ain't stopping. She's thirsty. I am. Hydration is important. Yeah. <laughs> it is true. It is true. I am uh, Jeremy Cobb, but some people call me uh, Jeremizzle Cobbizzle. Nice. Uh, boo, 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 boo. She's enforced. Let's move on to the show. Oh my god! You will come to terms with your own weakness! Old Prince vibe? Focus Ooh. on your task! Yeah. You shut your mouth! No one is interested. You think this is just a game? Suffer and lend! <laughs> Let's make them even more black! We're about to get into something real big now. Uh, amazing! Um, thank you for joining us uh, again, Halflings. We hope that you are all well. We are back with another episode. Uh, we've got a, a question to answer at the top of our show, and then we'll be diving in today into Jeremy's DMing process, uh, which I'm actually really excited to hear about. Yeah. I've played in a lot of Jeremy's games and never actually don't know how he does it. It's wizardry, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Uh, so we have a question uh, sent in to us from uh, our main man, Henry uh, Douthwaite, who me and Jeremy did a show with. Uh, so big shout out to Henry. Thanks for uh, supporting the show. Uh, he raised quite an interesting point, which I thought, uh, which actually Jeremy uh, thought would be good for us to talk about. And it was about uh, when presenting a character um, and how sort of far you can push something before it potentially can feel a bit offensive. Obviously, we put on things like accents for um, for our characters. Uh, and so how far can we push those things and how um, when we're making choices about doing a specific accent uh, versus a different one, uh, where is the line in it being sort of seen as stereotypical or uh, regressive? Um, I think is the the heart of the message. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to read the actual? Yeah, question? yeah. Go for it. Okay. So he's uh, Henry's building a new character. He's going for a hill dwarf warlock, uh, mm-hmm. and he looked at what a warlock could do. It appealed to his dark heart, is what he said. It appealed to my dark heart. Um, the image on D and D Beyond was a darker skinned dwarf. So I thought I'd build a character like that. Uh, Also, having been interested in your conversations on the podcast, I've also made her female. Obviously, I'm just building the character for the future. But what I want to ask is, if I was to turn up at a game and used her, is there a point where the character choice I've made is inappropriate? Obviously, we would perform with our uh, characters using accents, etc. in our games. I know my own mind and who I am, but we all perceive things differently. I guess I thought I'd ask your take. For example, I see no issue with using my own accent with her, or a traditional sinister Abinazar warlock-style accent. Uh, but if I were to do a deep South American accent, is that too far? Hmm. I think, personally, I'm in favor of people playing characters with a different ethnic 
background to them. I think it can I think it can be a good idea to bring diversity in the characters into your game. Um even if you don't necessarily have diversity at your table. Um I think the issue is to do it sensitively. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound to me like uh Henry is being insensitive intentionally with his portrayal. It seems like a lot of his inspiration comes from the art and materials that are already available for the class and for that yes. particular race. Um, I think it would just be, in my mind, it's let's see if we're or if we're potentially falling into any mm-hmm. stereotypes. Uh, and also, let's make sure we're not making a mockery yes. of yeah. the character. So... I don't like, for instance, if you're if you are a white person playing a character for whatever reason of uh, of an Indian background, um, I don't necessarily see a problem inherently with that. But you don't want it to turn mm-hmm. into yes. like a poo, absolutely, where it feels like a an insulting mm-hmm. caricature of that character, making fun of those stereotypes yeah. of yeah. those people. Uh, I think you've nailed it there. Yeah. What I would add to that is that there's always... Well, I think the word sensitivity sums it up perfectly because it's always about listening. Mm. Um, I just think that it's one of those things like you've got to be prepared to... You know, if you're... If you're uh, not like concerned about it, but if you're worried at all about it, uh, the way other people might be betraying it, if you're do it, if you're in the moment, you're you're doing, and other people, whatever, feel free to open that conversation up, you know, after a session or something, and you know, ask the DM and and see how they they received it, because um, it's a conversation. It's about you know learning and seeing where the boundaries are for you guys at the table. Um, but I completely agree with Jeremy. I think that it's really important to uh, that you have a variety of people uh, at the table, a variety of characters at the table, mm. um, so that your game feels unique and fun uh, and exciting and different to every other game that you might have played in. Um, mm. So I think that would be mine, would be yeah, open up the conversation if you're in any way unsure about the nature of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess to like go to the point about like the s- sort of accents, um, I, I think, again, sensitivity, just to reiterate that point and drive it home, is is key. Um, I don't necessarily see a major issue with, like, a deep South accent, but I would want to know more. Like, why would she have said accent? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think, yeah. I think, think if everything mm-hmm. is justified and makes sense and has been handled with a level of care and sensitivity, it would be fine. Um, I guess, like, also when you say deep south i'm like are you are you going like with more of like an aave sound to it are you talking like you know african-american vernacular english like yeah do you know what i mean that's what i would guess that's what i would guess based on his by based on his description of seeing a brown skin Mm. oh um, i see okay um i again i think that you i think it's a it's a tightrope you might have to walk there because you could fall into and i think that's what unati is saying is about um um, sort of doing a research like you know if you if you're interested in that justifying justifying it so that then because i think if you justify something and you're coming from a learned place it's really hard then for you to fall into stereotype i think do you know what i mean it's really hard for you to because you're justifying Mm -hmm. what you're doing and justifying your decisions yeah um because you know at the end of the day we are in a made-up world with all made up people and do you know what i mean so the only thing i would say is like okay say you're thinking about a deep south sort of accent or whatever 
I mean, does it have to be Deep South? Could you could you make something up? Maybe it has some similarities, or you use Deep South as a starting point. But do you know what I mean? Like we we're creating all of this stuff as we as we're yeah. going. I don't see any reason why you can't push something further and really make something unique. If you're in it, like I've always felt like if you ever yeah. get to a point where you're questioning whether something's okay or not you're probably do you know what I mean like you're probably already on the borderline of it not being okay yeah um because other people generally tend to be more sensitive to something that you're going to have created in your own mind yeah and also know the group you're playing with because you may go in there being like I've done my research I've worked on this accent Mm -hmm. this is not a caricature but maybe the people that you're playing with uh they they might not even find it offensive they might have some of the regressive attitudes and un- and be- un- yes. before you know it now everybody at the table is making jokes about watermelon and fried chicken and and you're like which oh. are both delicious things yes they are delicious yes. things everybody they likes are. those things by the way it's not just black people yes every yeah who doesn't like watermelon i mean i don't understand yeah 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 <laughs> kentucky fried chicken was started by a white guy all right i mean Okay, okay, sorry, we digress. Sorry, I'm really hungry. Yeah, I'm so yeah, hungry. Yeah, yeah. Hey guys, do you want to go get some, go get some chicken and this? <laughs> uh, I'm so hungry. Yeah. Uh, I, I, but that's, you don't want to end up with that either. Because I yeah. definitely, yes. I have yes. not personally encountered that, but I know somebody who did, where they, where they were playing, it was, they were a black person playing in an all-white group, and the, it was the DM sort of doing like some really insulting stereotypes, and most of the group was fine with it. And my friend felt really uncomfortable trying to... Like, he tried to speak up, I think. But it was clear that no one else saw an issue with it. And it was like, oh, oh boy. That's gross. That's gross. Um, please, if you ever find yourself in the situation, just just uh, try to have the conversation. If you can't have the conversation, then, like, message Me. us or something. We'll we'll send some people. We'll send some tieflings around to that yeah. house and sort it out. We'll like, we'll... Yeah, yeah. Reach I'll help out. you. We're gonna... I will have... Yeah, yeah. I will personally have words with them. Oh. Yes, Yanti will use some of her gold, <laughs> some of that, you know, to yeah. leverage the, you know, she's going to... She'll have them brought before out. her throne. I think legitimately, though, that is potentially something that would be really interesting for the community to, to potentially do. Like, if you guys have had experiences like that, it'd be really fascinating to hear about those. Because mm-hmm. I think that uh, it's it's got to be... A, I think it's a lot more common than at least it feels like from my perspective, because I feel like I've always been a very uh, open-minded and very um, sort of considered and diverse tables. Yeah. Um, so I'd be, I would genuinely be really fascinated to hear from the community if, if uh, there are more experiences like that because I think and that goes for all people you know that doesn't just go for um, you know uh, uh, black people or even people of colour like LGBTQ plus um, you know uh, people with disabilities that kind of thing I just think it's a really because I think it's a really interesting conversation that like feeling comfortable at the table and something we can definitely really get into uh, get into at a later point the last time I felt uncomfortable at the table like the DM clearly hadn't I think I've mentioned this before though but the DM clearly hadn't considered the fact that maybe I would be uncomfortable to go to a plantation yeah. You know? yeah, that would have been that they should have asked you about that in advance. Mm. That would yeah, be a I'm conversation. Like, mm. I'm like, mm. I don't really know if I want to go to a plantation and help this guy with his mission. He was clearly a yeah, weirdo racist. No. Oh. That's a strong, <laughs> like, strong mm. no for me. Um, yeah. that's a yeah. Wow. Well, I would say actually, funny enough, I'm glad you mentioned LGBT stuff. Uh, well, people, mm. Mm. Uh, uh, Jasper, because 
the most of the issues that I have had in terms of people, it's not even intentional discrimination. It's stuff like pronouns. So if there's like a non-binary character, I've had a number of, I've had a non-binary, I've had, I've played with multiple non-binary PCs and NPCs. And it, for some people, it seems extremely difficult to just remember to use they, them when referring to those, in, those particular characters. Uh, they'll like even you yeah. can you can go into it not t- uh, giving any indication of a masculine or feminine uh, gender identity in particular, but the the players will read one in and then assign that based on yeah <laughs> and so, yeah 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 for sure yeah which is which I guess is kind of tricky but like I suppose even just having those conversations that like in your own sort of spaces I I guess. I would just correct them. Like, yeah, that, well, that's what it's like, been. It's mm, been a process yeah. of repeatedly being like, oh, no, no, it's they, them. They, them, pronouns. Yeah, and, and, and do that, and do that. Yeah. Feel, feel comfortable to do that. Feel free to just say, oh, no, it's they, them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Even if you have to do it like 10 times, just realize that that's, that's, the, that's okay. Yeah. I think um, the last, one of the last things I wanted to say as well on that question, really quickly, we mentioned this before, but just try and, try and think about how you can invert something or, or, or flip something on its head as a stereotype. Because I think this is always one of the most useful tools that I find as like a DM when I'm quickly coming up with something and I'm really aware that I don't want to submit something to sound uh, stereotype. Like, you know, so say I, I've actually got a few characters that I run at the moment who have Deep South accents. Mm. Um, mm. Or like sort of a, my approximation of a Deep South Af- uh, accent. <laughs> um, we all get what you're going for. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's in the ballpark. Um, yeah. <clears throat> um, but uh, always trying to think about, okay, can I make that character, can I make them really intelligent? Can I make them do something that I, is ag- plays against the stereotype of that particular yeah, yeah. Uh, that particular uh, thing that they're, they're going up against? Um, mm-hmm. I think I mentioned before, like playing elves is like really ugly and rugged. Yeah. You know, yeah. just finding ways to flip certain stereotypes so that it doesn't feel uh, like, you know, so if you do go deep south, Maybe don't play further into the deep style any any deep south stereotypes. Yeah. Mm. Maybe see if you can you can invert something and find something a bit more uh, nuanced uh, mm. to to bring to the character. Yeah. And in yeah. in regards to the Abanazar Ab- Ab- stereotype, I or sorry, not stereotype, but voice. I was not familiar with that because as an American, I didn't grow up seeing uh, pantomimes. But apparently, mm. he's a very common panto villain, like in Aladdin. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. The the videos that I saw of people playing him, he sounded essentially like just an upper cl- a very upper class Englishman in his accent. Is yeah, that, quite a lot of the time. Is that correct? Uh I can't think of any t- I think there's probably uh an and a sort of um a sort of vaguely uh Aladdin-esque kind of accent that comes into it uh sometimes mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I quite a lot of the time yeah like you said I come across that sort of more like upper crust uh, very sort of arrogant uh, heightened rp yeah yeah heightened yeah, rp yeah. I wouldn't have an issue with that heightened rp yeah yeah like uh, sorry I don't uh, sorry I don't I really don't care about rich old white men so go have at it <laughs> <laughs> unless they're willing to give us money, money. <laughs> sorry. Uh, in which case we'll care about you specifically <laughs> we'll, do. we'll care about you and you specifically <laughs> sorry um, that was so harsh. moving on uh, we would like to uh, dive into Jeremy Cobb's DM style mm. um, we have had mine now we've yeah. had Unati's yeah. uh, now we're going full homebrew so ladies and gents do what Unati is doing right now Taking notes. get your notepads <laughs> and pencils uh, your your extremely valuable pencils out 
Yes, um, you're, you're, what, I was about to say Palomino. Is it Palomino? Yeah, Pimento? it's Palomino, Palomino yeah. Pa- your Palomino, Palomino Black, Black Wings or Pearls, should you use Or those. Pearls. Black Palomino <laughs> Pearls. I'm ready. Um, <laughs> where are we starting this week, Jeremy? Where is, what is the start of your process? The start of my process is before I, it, this is assuming that I'm playing with a new group uh, or starting a new campaign. Before uh, I, I take as a, I think the bottom line thing is that I take a very player focused approach. Uh, that's, that's the, that's kind of the logic behind every choice I make. So before we even have played a session, I go to the play, before we've even created a character, usually I go to the players and ask them what genre they'd like to, the game to be. So like high fantasy, urban fantasy, sci-fi, space opera, noir, uh, the one that we played, I think that, that would have been released. Yeah, that's been released now. Um, we, we did, uh, an Africa setting. So it was explicitly, that was what we were doing going in. Um, and then based on that, I work closely with each individual player to basically build a character, uh, with a backstory that gives them a place to start. So, uh, I basically will ask them, you know, what, what class, what race do you want to play? Uh, and then from there we'll, we'll start looking at like, okay, so where are you from? Now we have not built anything into this world yet. All we know is the genre roughly. Uh, but like, where are you Mm -hmm. from? Who do you know? Uh, Mm. what do you want? Why are you here? What's your yep. personality? Um, I didn't realize mm-hmm. this. Oh, who do you know is actually very helpful because it gives them established relationships to play on uh, that you mm-hmm. as a DM then can work with. Uh, but uh, I I didn't realize this until my friend pointed it out to me last night. But I also tend to push for characters to have flaws. So if a character doesn't have one when a person first comes to me, a lot of times I'll... It, it, in my mind, the way it manifests is I'll hear the character's traits and then want to push them to their logical conclusion. So as an example, my buddy nice. Ryan, the very first game I ever DM'd, he came in with a Minotaur barbarian named Jal, uh, mm-hmm. who was min-maxed to have start with max strength and near-max constitution, uh, but a minus one, I think a minus two to intelligence uh, and Ooh. a ten in everything else. Uh, and mm-hmm. he was on a quest to discover this legendary sword of skull. And so my thought process was, okay, so you've set this guy up as a pretty straightforward, he's going on a quest, chosen one type, he's going to try and conquer a bunch of land, but he, he's, that, that's pretty basic, but he, he has this seven intelligence here. Um, what if we say part of the reason he left his clan was because no one there liked him? Cause he's really dumb and has no idea. That he's that how much he messes up. So like they'd be going on hunts, yeah. and he would show up and be like, ha ha, and like charge in and end up chasing away unintentionally whatever they were trying to hunt. And but he's like, but Jal has bought into his own legend so much that he just has no self awareness. Uh, and so the the people from the tribe went to his mom and were like, you got to get rid of this kid. And so it became part of his backstory now that like he's on a he's basically on what may have actually amount to a wild goose chase, but he has no idea. Uh, and, and his, his, his intelligence, his lack of his low intelligence has become a real, like intrinsic part of the character that he really lacks self-awareness and does not realize the impact that his actions have on those around him a lot of times and how he comes across. Um, so that's what, that's the kind of thing that I, and that's kind of where we started. That's how we started the, uh, with, with that particular character. And I did the same thing actually with Jasper and Unati when we were building characters, mm. uh, except you guys both came with like very well, like well-developed character personalities and everything. So there wasn't a whole lot that I needed to, 
provide in that case. Yeah, I think, mm. yeah, you definitely pushed us to think to think about flaws and things mm. like that, like when you were just sort of br- briefly what you what you described. Um, and I think you would, you definitely pushed me, I think, to follow, like you said, to follow it to the natural conclusion yeah, yeah. of like, uh, okay, so this guy, you know, you very much said like, oh, he's never left the island. Like what effect does that have on him? And that mm. played into a lot of how I, did like sort of made the character in the first place mm. um where i might not have considered that so it was it was really nice actually. yeah no it was a very enjoyable process um oh. i especially i especially enjoyed um the detail that you took about looking at all of the facts about the dasi and how you could incorporate all of those into the character yes that's true i was we we i because you guys had existing animals i i looked at what the actual animals were like and what their abilities yeah, were yeah. as animals, and tried to incorporate that. So we kind of yeah. homebrewed elements into those into those uh, characters because of uh, what animal they were based on, um, yeah. uh, which was pretty fun. And and uh, essentially, I've I actually recently when I started uh, doing running slightly higher level campaigns that aren't starting at level one, I mm. will let ha- uh, higher level characters start with a single magic item, uh, so they can choose. They can even make one up. But it gives everybody, like, a, a greater customization. Um, That's cool. And I also, I don't do this all the time, but I also like to give people the opportunity to choose a theme song uh, for their characters. So that, like, when everybody <laughs> introduces nice. their characters at the beginning, uh, I'll play the theme song underneath it. So the theme song for Jaw, for instance, was War Pigs uh, by Black Sabbath. So, yeah, like, you hear... Yeah, I did that with you I guys. Well. And, yeah, yeah and War Pigs, so it would be, like, this intense, like, guitar riff and then... Born in the mountains, in the Minotaur tribe, jaw like immediately you know who that guy is. Immediately yeah. you know who this guy is, yeah. uh, and every single part of him makes sense from then on. It's like, yep, it, yeah. I get it. Um, mm. From there, I will go away and start building a setting uh, and a story based on what I've established with the characters, and so that's where working on where those people come from is very, very useful. Because now you have, just from working with your players, potentially one or more locations that you've already partially designed. Uh, And you have multiple Mm -hmm. NPCs now that you've partially at least established. Uh, So you maybe have an idea of what their personality is and what their relationship to the PC is. And so, Uh. uh, and my big thing is that I always make sure that the setting choices fit with whatever I've previously established with the the players and their characters, and especially making sure that every single character has a reason to care and a reason to be there that feels true to who they are. Because the goal is to maximize player investment. So there should, these players, these characters should not be told to do anything that they, that they're not interested in doing, that they have no Mm. reason to care about. Um, So Mm. for our, for the session that I ran with you guys, uh, I, uh, Nandi loves yams. Okay, yam festival. You have every yes, reason to sure. care about what's yeah, happening sure. in the city. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just wants to explore and meet new people and, and fight things. So let's, yep. let's have a convention where people from all over are there. People, the yep. kinds of things you never would have seen before. Mm. And on top of that, there's a huge threat now. And it's, mm-hmm. it's yams. So not only does Nandi have every reason to care, but now Ra Bumpadum cares that he gets to defend people from these monstrous yam creatures mm. absolutely um, they are so delicious so i don't have to work then to get them to do kind of what i want to want them to do cuz they mm. already want to do it 
That's really interesting. I'm already annoyed that I, that the yams are not delicious. <laughs> I'm, I can't genuinely she's, pissed off. She's still not. Uh, she's still not over the 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 the, the awful yams. Um, um, but that's a really interesting uh, thing because I think that as a DM, quite often. Uh, it kind of goes back to like the whole thing of like realize that your players are having more fun, but it's quite often you. I think you could fall into the trap of like, oh, how can I get them like reinvested or you know like uh, mm-hmm. there's like a, there's always that worry. I think like especially like after they complete like a main quest or yeah. something like, how do I get them reinvested in the story? How do I get them to like move on to the next thing? And I think that um, much like Jeremy was saying there is that if you m- maximize player investment, that will really help. Uh, I was going to say that that is something I'm going to address later in terms of moving from one quest to another. Because once oh, cool. you've introduced stuff if the, and the players have started to interact with the world, now all you have to do is look at what they already care about and what they already want to do. And then introduce something that ties in with that. Uh, but that's going to come in in, a, in just a little bit. Well, that's exactly what I was going to talk about. It's just that I think there's an element of trust there that I think um, I fall into the trap a few times uh, of being a DM who goes, oh, like, are they are they invested? Are they enjoying this? Um, or maybe I should throw something in there to keep them. But actually, you, you, don't worry. Like, they're in. They're interested. They're involved. They're invested. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, nine, nine times out of ten, they they will come to possession and have an idea about what they want to do next. You don't need to force it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And quite often, what they will kind of present to you will be far more interesting than the idea that you've panicked, scrambled together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, carry on. Uh, um, another thing that I'll do is I'll let players name and or help design locations that their characters are from so that they have a more of an emotional attachment to those locations. I didn't get to do it as much with you guys, in part because, Nandi, you are... We, we went over the, the actual the workings of your tribe, so mm. we know that if we were to ever mm. meet them, what their social structure is and yeah. how it all functions. Yeah. But uh, there's um, a, a character in one of my games who is from the Feywild, and mm. so I basically had... I sat down with her, and she told me what she wanted the Feywild to look like. Um, now, obviously, she mm. didn't dictate every single part of what that area, what the what that plane is, but that part of it that she that she her character is actually from, she now has a very strong emotional attachment to. Uh, yes. And when that eventually shows up, it'll be like, aha, there it is. Oh, there's the and it's like it's like she's been here before. It's like her character is yeah. there. It's like, oh, there it is. Um, and I will say this: I I use Evernote, the program Evernote, to write all this down. Uh, it's, it allows you to create a notebook that you can title and then create individual notes inside of that notebook. So I'll, I'll create a notebook for the campaign as a whole, and then I will, uh, create a different note for each session, uh, plus additional notes, uh, one for character backstories, one for setting info, one for unused ideas that I've come up with that I'd like to just stick in there at some point. Um, I use D&D Beyond to help uh, players create the characters uh, for anybody who doesn't yes. know it's a website uh, that it has a- basically through that website you can get access to all of the uh, Wizards of the Coast like official D&D 5e material and you can then use it uh, for free actually as a character creator um, you will have to pay for some of the the specific stuff from the books potentially but it, the player handbook stuff is all free and you can just build a character very intuitive and it makes the character uh, creating process much much easier than just approaching it with pencil and paper I find. Yeah. Yeah. And plus also during these times, if uh, you're zooming your DM or whatever uh, via your computer, you can also get an app now, which is quite handy, which has all of the stats and stuff on it, which is really useful. And they haven't, they just introduced a dice roller. Dice roller. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. 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 
Um, but support your local dice makers because we love dice. <laughs> so many dice. Uh, yes. Uh, and in terms of uh, specific world building stuff, I try to build locations that sound uh, cool to me. Then that also makes sense with what we've already established. Uh, and I actually, I used to do this. I don't do it anymore, but I used to find pictures of every location and monster that I would physically show to the players, uh, mm. so that they'd have a clear idea of what I was talking about. Do you, I think you might remember that Jasper. Cause yeah, I, I do that remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also, I haven't been doing it because we're not. I'm not physically in the same space with the characters anymore or with the players anymore, but I also used to find music for every setting, uh, and like, mm. and even specific events or characters. Uh, I'm a big fan of villain music. Um, you might, you probably would remember this, Jasper, that when I used, uh, sometimes I feel like a motherless child, uh, yes. for Draybold. Yeah. Um, which was amazing. Yeah. Uh, it, it works so well because yeah, that, recent- I remember that, that session where, because, uh, half of our party, it was like, there was like, we were almost like in two parts, uh, cause mm-hmm. there's so many people that were kind of getting involved. And, uh, I remember sitting, just like listening to this one, like I wasn't even a part of that session and you started playing like the sometimes I feel like yeah. was coming down the corridor. I remember sit, we were all sat around a table and I remember like, these were complete like D and D noobs. Like none of us had played before. And just the look on people's faces of like, this cannot be good like that was <laughs> such fear like and, this is bad yeah yeah and my main party the same thing and i actually recently they they fought like a resurrected sort of undead dream version of him and they were in this haunted house setting and Ooh. the the cellar door opened and they just heard that music playing and the play <laughs> the look on the player's faces of like Oh no! It's been a year since he showed up. Like it's been wow. a year since they heard that song, and it, <laughs> the, the it was an immediately like visceral reaction for everyone. Just like oh no! Um, so that that can be extremely useful. I also like to use tabletopaudio.com mm-hmm. because they have a lot of just like ambient. Uh, ambient sounds for various settings so you can be like in a tavern or in a forest or in a mm. cave different things like that and I also have a specific uh, battle playlist that I like to play of just mostly rock songs uh, that have a lot of energy and oomph to them yeah yeah i like your choice of your choice of music is so much better than mine i'm just uh <laughs> i'm still like i'm still getting used to like juggling like four million things via like via zoom uh i feel like my yeah. you know so it's uh, hard but yeah you've got some strong battle music it's like there's nothing quite like when some like acdc or like led zeppelin kicks in when you're like yeah. midway through like kicking some ass like it's really fun <laughs> yeah or like um uh run to the hills comes on like it's yes. like a triumphant moment it yeah. gets yeah. epic um i i also usually in terms of world building will only build what is necessary to run the story that we're currently trying to tell so Mm. in in terms of like the the setting that uh that we played on the show i only know the stuff that we established i don't really know much about any other spot uh because i don't need to because we're not going there like Mm. if we go there later Mm. then yeah okay yeah we build Mm -hmm. it um Mm -hmm. but other than that it's unnecessary. I don't like to give myself extra work. Um, but when uh, writing, the next thing is NPCs. Um, NPCs can be incredibly important. I did not like until uh, until I really started to think about it and observe like how different games functioned. NPCs can, in some cases, almost make or break a campaign. Yeah, I agree. I when writing NPCs, I try to give each of them a specific personality, mm-hmm. a tiny bit of history, and a goal, uh, just so they feel like real people. So it's not just 
uh, if it's not just some tavern merchant, or not tavern merchant, but just not just some like random merchant, it's a merchant who secretly wishes uh, to dance. That is the, that is their dream, but they were pushed into this by their uh, father who wanted them to carry on the family business, and that's all you need. And as mm. soon as that, and now you have like a little element of like, you could just have a little bit where like in between helping the players, they glance over and the merchant is just dancing to themselves. And it makes yeah. them immediately way more interesting because now it feels like a person. Um, and I want the players, I want the players to feel like these people would have just still been living their lives if the players hadn't shown up. Uh, and I'll often have them do stuff off screen in between appearances so that they've changed, uh, since the, the characters last saw them. Um, I had one time, it was like the Earl of an, of a region show up and he was clearly unfit for his job. He was very in over his head, very, very nice, but very, he was nervous, terrified, uh, weak willed. Uh, all these things, but he got essentially kidnapped by this sort of Rambo-type character. The Rambo-type oh, wow. character was trying to protect him uh, and <laughs> took him away, and the next time he showed up, he was like, he'd gone full Rambo, and like, the he was a halfling, and the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the Rambo character was like a medium-sized character, so he had the Earl and a little baby Bjorn, uh, and the Earl was like oh, holding, wow. holding like a, a sickle and had like war paint and all that stuff and like was wearing all black and they'd gone full on like special ops. Uh, That's amazing. <laughs> um, That's amazing. And it also gives the, it gives the, the players an opportunity to build a relationship with those people mm. uh, and really have something to hook themselves into the world. A lot of the most emotionally impactful moments in the campaigns that I've run have been when bad things have happened to NPCs. Mm. Um, pretty much all of the tiers, in fact, yeah. have happened. Uh, we've had multiple character deaths, like player character deaths, and the only time we've had tiers is for NPCs. Mm. Um, and it'll be like various NPC death scenes. Uh, I can hit those can hit hard, man. Yeah, mm. yeah, they really can. Yeah. Or the 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 first one, we had one, we had one in the campaign that I run with uh, you, Jeremy. That was yeah. Uh, wow, like the reaction of of you guys was it was incredible like um, you know yeah. like our but like our fun loving bard who was just sort of like wide-eyed wonder turned into like this like you know murder monkey was just going around yeah. like ah! <laughs> you know, it, was amazing. it was a man on a mission dude. it was incredible <laughs> um yeah and uh i guess in terms of session to session planning uh i used to plan for a many as many eventualities as possible mm. so i would think of like well they could do this or they could do this or they could do this or they could do this so here's a separate plan for every single one of those things but oh, gosh, that man. got to the point where i at one point planned i think six possible sessions for a single session wow uh and it was a document that was over 10,000 words long Whoa. uh and at that point i was like that broke me like i was like this is not, this is a problem this is a problem i contacted a friend you... i literally called a friend and was like i need to figure out how to do this differently because this is <laughs> i can't help. do this you can't uh, do this so it's not since sustainable. then i have I have ramped down a lot to yeah. just trying to have. Really I'll send. I'll. I have a video one time of me the document that I'll send to you. <laughs> <laughs> just how long it was. Um, and the, 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 yeah, I, I've. Been, I feel like I've, it's, it's very easy to get there. Yeah, yeah. it's very easy yeah. to get. There. Yeah, Calm it was. Down. It was based in fear. Uh, but since yeah, then I've yeah. ramped down to just trying to have the necessary info. So where are we? Mm. Like the name of the location, what it looks like, what it feels like to be there, kind of the culture, any relevant uh, information about like the layout of the city. So for instance, when you guys uh, went to the city, uh, Manikeni, I think is the name. 
Um, mm-hmm. yes. I told you what the walls looked like. I told you it was a huge city. And then I told you about the relevant, like the relevant parts. And if you guys had chosen to go somewhere else, then yeah, we'll figure like, I'll, I'll improvise some stuff. Cause I now have a basis mm. for what yeah. this place is like, mm. but that, yeah. I, I it, playing it, it didn't feel like you guys were like, ah, yes, this cardboard city we've walked into. It was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Big bustling place. Here we are. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, and that's the thing, like, trust your trust your players are filling in this world and making it so colourful and, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Manya Kenny, for me, I have a really clear image in my head, head of what that yeah. looks like. And you didn't go into, like, half an hour's worth of description. Mm-hmm. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Um, it, yeah, it's not always that necessary. Yeah, the players will fill it in for you. Um, I'll fill in also social structure of the place if, if it would be relevant. Um, I'll figure out sure. who is here. Uh, I will often only create like a few key NPCs and then I'll have a list of names and a list of Mm. jobs. And if a player wants to go to a certain spot, I look at the list of names. That's the person's name. Okay. This is what they do. Uh, and I'll just improvise essentially in response to what the players want to do. Uh, I do also (laughs) look at what, what do the people here want? Like what is their goal? What's the, what's the kind of the culture of the place here and what stats or excuse me, what, what threats are there? So I'll have like the stat blocks for any potential villains. And I, uh, similar to Unati, I pre-roll initiatives for all NPCs. This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, wow. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. Headgum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm-hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code HEADGUM at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. <sighs> That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Yeah. Uh.
Yeah, that's a great that's a great one. I, I always think that the like NPC things are so funny when you're like you'll have NPCs that you really flesh out, have got goals and things like this, and the like the PCs will walk up to that NPC and be like, Hi, how are you? What information can you give us? Okay, cool, thanks, bye. And then you'll improvise a little goblin called Bibble who owns a sweet shop and they'll be like, Hey, do you want to join our party? Yeah. And they roll a ridiculously high like persuasion check and suddenly they've got this goblin called Bibble that I know nothing about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's always like always exactly it's never who it's never who you want it to be um i actually have a question for you jeremy if i could uh because um like for those who don't know like obviously i've played with you a lot and i know that you know you're very learned on the rules and the kind of uh the sort of mechanics of it so Mm -hmm. i was wondering like how do you approach improvising things in the moment um because obviously you said then that you'll try to do a little bit less so say we did go to a different part of manya kenny Mm -hmm. Um, I, like I tend to find that it's like I if I create a, enough of a framework, then I feel comfortable to improvise. But I wonder whether yours is a slightly more kind of um, rule based improvisation, or or just like what's the um, mental process for you when improvising? Like honestly, that? the rules only come into combat for the most part, or specific skill sure. checks, uh, or like spells, yeah, stuff, or spells, like anything mm-hmm. that there is a rule written for then sure, yeah, we can incorporate the rules. But in terms of, like, you just want to talk to this person? Okay, yeah. I will play this person mm. as best I can, and we will have a conversation. Um, And we... I won't know how the conversation's going to turn out going into it, but it's just... Like, when... Mm-hmm. um, I've forgotten the elephant's name, but the elephant guy, when you guys walked up to the elephant, I... Uncle. Yeah, I knew, I knew <laughs> that he was, like, the foreman Uncle. of these guys who were helping to unload stuff at the docks uh and i knew that he just wanted to do his job right and that he was very nervous about this boat but a lot of it was Mm. like in terms of how he would receive you guys it was like yeah i guess we'll see and yeah 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 yeah. so that was that was entirely improvised uh yeah he's a and then so, so just just sort of like more to that like uh this and then then in terms of like if anything uh like anything big happens like what's your because like that happens you know sometimes they'll you we're always gonna have blind spots as a DMs uh and like I don't know if someone wants if someone can legitimately teleport somewhere yeah. or um uh I don't know finds a way to commune with a god or mm-hmm. something do you know what i mean like i was just wondering like what's your process of dealing with moments like that because that can be a real like yeah. hit panic button moment yeah you DM. just at that point you just gotta buckle in <laughs> you just gotta sure. buckle in jesus take the wheel take it take it all the yeah, way let's just see what happens. it and see what happens there is actually that reminds that's uh, leads into what i was going to say because that stuff can actually be incredibly helpful there's a one there's two mm. quick examples that I'll write name. One was a game that you played in. The yeah, first yeah. one was a game that you played in, uh, Jasper. It was when you guys were trying to free those tieflings who had been enslaved by that town. And that and ah, you guys yes. had dressed there's a changeling character who basically had been posing as an angel. This character she mm-hmm. she transformed to look like an angel, and they had given her like a flaming mm-hmm. sword, and like she was rising into the air on a magical flying ladle and was freaking out <laughs> the inhabitants of these people who were all like aligned with they all were big fans of like devils. Uh, and there, mm-hmm. but little did the group know that there was a very powerful warlock who was the mayor of this town. And he comes out, sees yep. what appears to be an angel flying up into the sky above his city and proceeds to banish her. He casts banishment yeah. and banished her to like a celestial plane. She then met some actual angels 
talked them yeah. into joining her, <laughs> rolled really high oh, persuasion, yes. oh and got God. five, five, so I immediately had to look up an angel stat block, and got five angels to show That's up, and and they brought her back, I think it was either his concentration got broken, yeah, it was because his concentration got broken, she, she reappeared, the angels crossed over after her, she sent them after the guy, and I think the final tally was something like 267 points of damage, these angels... Their swords do insane amounts of... And they all flew over. It was the one guy. And this was going to be a tough fight. But not anymore. Uh, But it ended up being one of the most (laughs) memorable things. We were level three? No, no, no. You guys are level six. Oh, no, we were level six. six. Okay, yeah. But even so. But even so, like, you're still probably doing a maximum of, like, 30 damage total in a round. Like, what an unnecessary show of force. Just, like, (laughs) eight. So we were literally, we were, we were sat at the table just being like, I think he's so dead. It's it's hard to know whether he actually existed in the first yeah, place. Yeah, he was retroactively erased from some of the Really time. dead. He's been expunged. Uh, that, and then the angels ended up giving uh, that character like a small boon after that. Yes. So that was one it thing. Did. It ended up becoming a really memorable moment. Or another thing, and this leads into, uh, this ties into the, what you were mentioning earlier, Jasper, about leading into separate camp, uh, next story arc. So that Rambo mm. character, the first time he appeared, he was uh, hunting a tiefling, but he was referring to the tiefling as a demon, and we hadn't seen the tiefling yet, but he essentially was interfering with something the players were doing because he wanted information. And he is like, he's a blood hunter, so he's like full on like, no, it is my way or the highway. And he got into a fight with these guys, and Jal, the Minotaur, had never seen a blood hunter before so when he sees him using his blood hunter powers jaws like i want that power and i never planned for this but he grapples him this character this the npc's name is urquhart tate the rambo guy uh jaw <laughs> grapples urquhart tate and proceeds to bargain with him and offers to join the blood hunters in exchange for Whoa. in exchange for receiving blood hunter powers and he's like look you can get the information that you need all we need is for you to wait a little bit but i will join with you and i'm like Oh, and one of the other characters hates Bloodhunters. It's like the number one thing she despises. The other character is like, I think this guy is bad. So the other two players are screaming at Joel, like, what are you doing? And like yelling, and it became the biggest thing. And now after, wow. because of that, when they eventually fought Urquhart Tate again and seemingly had killed him, Joel then resurrected him without anyone else notice, noticing, rolled a natural 20. He wasn't fully dead but he gave him a potion of healing and basically told him, remember who helped you. And then they moved on. (gasps) Urquhart Tate then escaped. Uh, And then the next arc, I'm like, okay, well, we got to bring the blood hunters back because that's, it led into the next thing. So then it was like, okay, let's, let's have an interesting dynamic be that they have to team up with the blood hunters because we've already established that we don't like them. What if they, they, in order to stop a larger foe, they have to team up. And so it's like, what do blood, what, uh, who these blood hunters serve, uh, Lucene, uh, who's the goddess of the moon. I do, I do draw from like Forgotten Realm stuff as as I see fit, essentially. So I'll just rip something off mm. and be like, okay, yeah, so she's the goddess yeah. of good lycanthropes. This guy is a blood hunter, um, uh, order of the lycan blood hunter. So he could turn into like a lycanthrope character. Let's have a bunch of evil lycanthropes show up. And then we start looking at evil lycanthrope gods. Okay, Malar, uh, evil lycanthropes. I see something about halflings, the ghostwise halflings. And, and it, it led into all this other stuff. And they were in a halfling mm. kingdom. And it that's how it then led into the next story. Um, so it was stuff that they'd already, it was players, it was decisions the players had made that influenced the next part of the story. 
uh, which I find is much more effective for keeping people invested and also just making it, making a story that makes sense uh, Mm. than just trying to spin something out of whole cloth. Uh, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh, the next, oh, go ahead. no, no, no. I, was, I just had, I did actually have a, a quick question because um, I it was a compliment really was like whenever I've played in your games, every session's always felt really well balanced. Mm. It's something that I still feel like I struggle with as a DM is sometimes like, okay, that session was like a little all over the place or a little, um, you know, and I think partly it's because I feel like I let my players get away with too much. But, <laughs> but I was just sort of interested like how, like, is there like something that you sort of try to drop in, like you know, whether it's like okay, we haven't had combat in like in a few sessions, so I'll put a co- I'll like I'll aim for a combat in this session, or you know, is that like something that you're aiming for as like a almost like a an interesting hook, or do you know what I mean? Um, uh, yeah, I, I I try to um, include. I don't necessarily have a combat in every single session. I think I'm absolutely fine with just having an exploration yeah, and no. RP session. But uh, mm-hmm. what I like to have is once I've established who the bad guys are, they're doing stuff off screen. So it's sure. possible that the players will run into them. So, for instance, in the noir game that I run, um, there's some bad, there's shadowy, you know, shadowy cr- organized crime organizations who are constantly mm-hmm. doing stuff. And mm. they'll, the players will, there will be evidence of their activities, sometimes that directly affect the players. Um, there was a, a character recently, there, he's on the baseball uh, game, or excuse me, the baseball player is, he's a playing on an away, he's playing an away game. And the entire team was given champagne and he drank the champagne only to realize that it had been poisoned in some, and he's not sure who did it, why they did it. Mm. Uh, but it immediately adds like a sense of intrigue. So the rest of that session was spent with, was him reconnecting with his his roots because he's from this city and meeting old friends and allies and seeing how things had changed since he'd been gone. Uh, but I try mm. to g- have plot relevant information available uh, and very like hopefully the players will be seeking it out because you know they'll be motivated to try and learn more about what's going on at that point. So mm-hmm. whether it's they go mm-hmm. to a library and they read about it or there's an NPC there who who knows what's going on or has some artifact that is in some way related and hints at something else uh that mm-hmm. will eventually tie together down the line, try to have that in there, but in the middle of like I, it, it's just in the setting. And essentially yeah. I I think I've talked about it before, but there is such there you can essentially just say okay, even if they don't go there, this person's going to show up here instead uh it's essentially yes. like yeah, yeah, uh, like yeah. i've said Absolutely. the buddha's hand thing from journey to the west you thought you flew out of buddha's hand Just... but in reality you were inside it the whole time it's the bandersnatch illusion yeah, of choice. yeah. Mm. absolutely mm. uh absolutely i think the um uh to to that end the um uh, uh what was i gonna say it's gone out of my head <laughs> you know if you have any questions uh I, i've just been <laughs> i've just been studiously later. taking notes so i don't <laughs> Um, I have, I guess the last thing I was going to talk about was combat, uh, in yes, regards to... cause you, you run some um, very good combat, Thank you. uh, uh, which I'm gutted that the audience didn't get to see in the last session. Uh, maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe see them day soon. Uh, yeah, hopefully. Um, so in regards to combat, uh, I, if it's, if it's the first time these people have ever played, then it'll be a pretty straightforward 
combat usually, but I still like to create combats with interesting stakes and settings, uh, whether that means introducing interesting terrain. There was one session where uh, neither uh, you didn't play in it, Jasper, but they were uh, there. Were, these people were fighting on a ship and there were like winged kobolds mm. up attacking the rigging of the ship. But at the same time, there were mm-hmm. other kobolds on the deck fighting uh, crew members. So you could there were a lot of different aspects to the fight that you could get involved with. Um, yeah, the, sure. I like to in, incorporate interesting tactics. So with the group that Jaw plays in, there was a, in, uh, a session where they encountered a bunch of knights. They had basically been framed mm-hmm. for having, uh, actually they were framed for having kidnapped the Earl because the bad people were like, oh no, we've been discovered. Right. Well, we're in power currently. So our only way to hide this is to make it look like they're the bad ones. So they, they framed <laughs> them for having done it. And these knights showed up to arrest them. And there were knights archers and then a mage who had previously cast invisibility and when it became clear like on himself so when it became clear that the Mm. the party was going to try and fight that mage pops up out of nowhere and casts cone of cold Mm. and straight up killed multiple animal companions and like seriously injured the party and now we're in a seriously like now so now you have a mage who's blasting from the back who's got fireball who's hiding behind the front lines you have a bunch of knights all of whom are holding like glaives and pole arms uh standing two Mm -hmm. in a group and behind each pair of knights Mm. you have an archer so the archer is just sniping so basically you have to then tactically fight so like the druid who uh is pretty squishy runs into a house uh and then (laughs) just pokes her head out Mm -hmm. and starts casting lightning uh call lightning on people from inside there so she's basically impervious to harm now the rogue turns invisible runs around behind enemy lines it's just just going after the mage uh and then the (laughs) then the uh the ranger and the barbarian just charge into the front lines uh but it became like they're now having to use tactics um another example they fought uh uh, among it was several characters, three sisters, uh, the Moira sisters, and they were all very powerful lycanthropes. And one was a were leopard who was uh, um, a rogue, and they were fighting in a forest. And the were leopard hid in the bushes, had a really high stealth, uh, really high uh, stealth modifier, and she would essentially jump out and just try and like support snipe people, slashing them up over their mm. claws. They had a a um, a were boar who just charged in as a barbarian and like hit me. And she was path of the, she was bear totem barbarian. So all the damage is getting halved, including the magic. Uh, and then there was a where gibbon wow. wizard and gibbons are incredibly agile. So the gibbon immediately <laughs> goes into a tree and is sniping from above. Uh, and that was one of the toughest fights we've ever had. Brilliant. Uh, and then there's, yeah. there's fights such as they fought where spiders. So there's webs everywhere so that they can either, they can either have halved movement or they can roll a check to try, like a dexterity check, to try and make their way through. Or they get grappled by the webs. Uh, and the spiders can, of course, climb and everything. Mm. Um, and they can also attack the webbing and destroy it if they want to, to clear areas. And then most recently, we f- they fought in like a shifting dream maze. Like the li- a living maze. And at the top mm-hmm. of each round, the maze would shift again. And depending on what everybody rolled on a D6, they'd end up in a different part of the maze with potentially different enemies. Amazing. Uh, And that ended up not only... That ended up actually saving uh, Jal because there was a revenant there that was dead set on killing him. And she took him down multiple times to zero and was going to kill him. She would have killed him had she been in the same part of the maze as him. But she kept getting shifted away at the top of each round. So stuff like that can keep things very engaging and interesting. That's really cool. That's really Uh, cool. And in, in yeah, terms of balancing really cool. fights, I find PCs... This is something I learned from watching um, 
uh, a lot of the the DM advice videos that Brennan Lee Mulligan does uh, from Dimension 20. He talks about how PCs are a lot stronger than you think. Um, and they can handle yep. a yeah. lot. And yeah. so you he yeah. he yep. said that yep. he does this, and that, so I do it too. If I want a fight to be tough, I will just throw in crazy, some really strong high-level bad guys, and a lot of them. Yep. Um, and... And yep. the PCs will figure out a way to win. And for that, I'll have like units of yep. bad guys on a single initiative. So I'll just roll multiple. I'll just roll. I use a dice roller app for this. So I'll just like press D20 three times real quick for their attacks to know whether they hit stuff like that. And yeah. I'll plan their tactics ahead of time and know what abilities they have and all that stuff. So, yeah, that's pretty yeah. much. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I did that for the first time recently. It was like planning tactics ahead of time and it really helped. It was the, the actually the hag uh, fight that mm, you had, yeah. Jeremy, um, recently. I very much like they came in with the tactic that they were going to curse, try and curse as many targets as possible because curse means you have disadvantage on wisdom saves and then all of their spells are wisdom mm-hmm. saves. Yeah. So that was like, all, like basically that was what they yeah. were going to go ahead and do. Um, and that really, really helped, I think, the way that that, that fight Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. why Gundam yeah, died. Planning tactics because of curse. Time is... That's what killed him. He yeah. gets the disadvantage because on all those wisdom saving yeah. throws. Then he eventually got death glared. And that's what did it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It was, gr- it was grim. I actually remembered what I was... Um, mm-hmm. I was going to say earlier, which is about the. I really liked what you said about having the bad guys kind of off on the off on the side doing stuff. Mm. Um, it's something that I've tried to do with mine, and I think what it, what's really cool about it is it gives players a sense of like time mm. as well, um, and that like if they spend you know four sessions in a row just like shopping or you know that like some really bad stuff might be happening yeah at the same time yeah. you know yeah. um that like if they've got like a core mission that maybe they want to get on with it because and that's not to say that you have to be really strict and stop players from having the fun but like i think it's a really nice way of like really introducing a sense of like stakes yeah, and an uh, of that living world mm-hmm. um if you're bad guys like your bad guys aren't gonna waste time mm-hmm. shopping do you know what i mean they're going yeah they're, they're yeah. out there yeah. right now they're hunting people down they're doing their thing they're getting they're the items work. they're you know um yeah they're doing their work yeah exactly and i think there's nothing kind of i think there's nothing kind of nicer than like players coming to a point being like yes we have succeeded in the mission and then be like oh the, the item's gone but like yeah because you took like three <laughs> weeks to get here yeah. like and they already yeah. knew about it yeah. like of course they were gonna beat you <laughs> you know what did yep. you expect yeah <laughs> um so like stuff like that i just think is is it really, yeah, really enriches the, the, the yeah, play, and but. and and I would say as much as you um, in terms of combat and stuff and running bad guys, as much as you want to make it challenging for your players to win, I it it can be extremely rewarding when they just dominate. So every once in a while, it's yeah. good to, especially if they yeah. if it's due to their own ingenuity. Uh, if it's just them being smart, it's like, pff, I mean, go for it. Like <laughs> that is just cool. Yeah. yeah, you've got to re- you've got to reward that. Yeah. You've got like when when like because I mean I've had whole sessions where like the bad guys have just been negated straight yeah. out. You know, like whatever they had, whatever their thing was, the player was like, if I cast this and you instantly as a DM. Oh like, my gosh, that Moira sister fight yeah. to this day. How did I not the think druid? Of that? Okay, so the wizard yeah. has counterspell. The wizard, the the gibbon has counterspell. The, uh, so on my, I have counterspell. So if this, if any, if this druid tries to cast like any healing spells or whatever, then then I can counterspell him. But the druid 
keeps intentionally running out of range because she knows she's squishy, so she keeps getting out, and she doesn't, I don't think she even realized that she was out of counterspell range, but she would, like, her tactics just kept stopping me, and I'm just like, oh, <laughs> and there was nothing, it was, it was really well played on her part. Uh, she, she absolutely yeah. was the MVP of that fight. Uh, at one point, literally the only people still standing were her and one allied NPC, and most of several of their player several of their characters had our fellow characters been captured and the wizard was flying away with all of them piled up on big b's hand and was literally on the verge of escaping until like the druid did some stuff to interfere but it was just like oh my gosh but you got i mean you yeah. got to take the l's because the, the goal is for your players to have fun mm. uh and yeah. Yeah. it's i mean if yeah. they're having fun then i'm having fun as far as i'm concerned so yes yeah absolutely <laughs> and there's nothing i think i think there's nothing better than as like a dm feeling like getting that bit that kind of like moment where you go like oh, i'm kind of proud of you for that like that was yeah. kind of clutch you know yeah. like that was what you just did that was real cool that was really really cool and i have to reward that yeah. um i get pr- yeah i get really proud of my players especially some of the newer ones where i'm like what that was i would never have- yeah okay. <laughs> just stuff you never would have expected um, the angel thing yeah. the angel yeah, thing absolutely. i love that that was such a yeah, good the idea. Angel thing. Yeah, no, such a no good chance. idea. Lost chance. That stat block. When she, like, wow, yes, like five angels. Yeah. Five yes, five angels. angels. And I never, and I thought yeah, like, ha ha, she's been neutralized. And instead, it's like, no, you have been neutralized. <laughs> I have been neutralized. Yeah, yeah. you have been neutralized. <laughs> At that point, I'm just like, I'm yeah. just slow clap because <laughs> that's that's just that's just good yeah. job on her yeah. part. Good thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Why? And then, because also equally, then you have to, because then you get to out like weigh it when players make really stupid oh, decisions, yeah. which is really fun. Like for instance, <laughs> when Dennis, Jeremy's character, uh, when I said like they were like, oh, can I cast like detect magic on this on this box? And they were, like, I was like, yeah, there's really strong like necrotic energy coming out of this thing. And Dennis just went, I'll open it. So the rest of the party cast Leoman's tiny hut and hid inside it. Dennis went outside of the hut. To- open the chest at which point there was basically um there was effectively it's like the same thing that the intellect devourer uses was it feeble Um, mind that kind of bursts out of this feeble mind that's it yeah bursts out of the chest uh it was like a trapped spell in there bursts out of the chest Dennis gets reduced to, like, a vegetable. And Elder Pie went, well, yeah, we probably should have seen that coming. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> it like, yeah! And it was just, like, you guys are so... Like, you, like sometimes you just obliterate foes. Yeah. You, do you know what I mean? But then, on occasion... Take a big L. That, and that was a win for... That was a fun <laughs> DM, like, DM win. You know, where I was just like, ha! Yeah. That was yeah. stupid. <laughs> I even told you this is a bad <laughs> idea. Like, I literally told you necrotic energy is flowing it's true. out Dennis felt thing. bad because he thought he thought he was responsible for the death of that NPC that we mentioned earlier and so as part of it he's like yes. look if anybody should be put in danger it should be me and goes so it should be me it uh he was in danger he was marvelous i'm still just shook by these angels i'm literally looking at the stuff block now and i'm like five 200 and i i'm going to look up yeah i'm going to look up the exact number because uh, it's it was an incredible amount. I'll look it up later, but it was so much. It was yeah. yeah. Oh man. I can't. Um, marvelous. Uh, well, this has been Jeremy's DM yeah. playstyle. Uh, I hope you've yeah. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. That's all of our playstyles are out yeah. there now. Yeah. Um, so uh, let us know your thoughts if you use any any little tips and tricks that we uh, that we give you, or if you. 
uh, think, hey, this is all garbage and I'm going to do it my own way. That's totally That's fine. Totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Three Black Halflings. Don't forget to uh, follow us and like us and share us with your fellow adventurers um, because that really, really helps. Yeah. Um, yeah! We- yeah, yeah. Oh, there it is. Uh, and we will see you next week with another episode of Three Black Halflings. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye. Bye.